What's going on this week? Thanksgiving. Hey, I'm going to share a video as we get ready to kind of wrap our minds around that and all the different things that's going to be happening. And, uh, and then we're going to get into God's word together this morning. So let me see. There we go. Come to the table. It's plentiful year round. You're welcome here. So pull up a chair. This is the table of bounty. It's where blessing is served, heaping in portions topped with gratitude. Come to the table. There's a place saved for you. Take and eat. This is the bread that feeds your soul. Pull up a chair to the table that overflows. Drink this living water and cheer to the sacrifice of praise. It's free to eat but it cost more than we can pay. So feast with thankfulness and bow in surrender. We dine with the King who knows our name. He pulls up his chair beside ours. He feasts as a brother and friend. There is a day of thanksgiving, but this is the life of it. The banner over us is love. Every single day, we pull up this chair and sit at this table. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. There we go. You know, hopefully for a lot of us, there is that excitement. We're thinking about that table filled with food and maybe family. And it does, it conjures up both, well, probably some hunger, but there's that excitement about the fellowship, the connectedness. I know for some, you know, holidays can get really overwhelming because you don't have maybe that family present. And there is that feeling of maybe like, this is overwhelming as I think about Thanksgiving and Christmas. What I love about what the video was reminding us, especially as we move beyond the idea of Thanksgiving as just a day set aside for the year to be grateful, that we as believers are invited to sit at the table as a guest of the king. And that banqueting table, right, of like being there with the king of kings, that that, that should begin to move our hearts and our, and our lives to a sense of that, that gratitude that is a response to what Jesus has already done. And I know, I know for some of you guys, it's like I said, it's, it's overwhelming. There's not maybe that same family connection. I'm hoping this morning, this connection fills a little bit of that space. But how do we begin to look at this idea of like, Thanksgiving, the, the picture that we have of the family and the feast, how can we move beyond, you know, just a day to really a lifestyle where that, I mean, that is something that people begin to see and they say, okay, I want what you have. How many of you guys know this story? I don't I share the, the, the news story, but I think they're going on year seven. There was a, 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 a grandma, right? She was texting her grandson, sending out the Thanksgiving invite. And as she put out the, the, the Thanksgiving text, hey, Thanksgiving at my house, 3 p.m., let me know if you're coming, hope to see you all. Of course, this includes Amanda and Justin. And then she gets the text back, who are they or who are those? And she's like, your grandma, uh, can I have a picture of who? You. 
and she sends a photo. And then he says what? You're not my grandma, but can I still get a plate? And she says, of course you can. That's what grandmas do. They feed everyone. What's funny is this news story has like kind of become a thing. And now for like the last seven plus years, this guy comes with his girlfriend and they do Thanksgiving with this family. It's become a, a, a tradition. And I love that like through an accidental text, right? Like, hey, oops, I got the wrong number. But rather than just like, hey, good luck. Can I get a plate? Yeah, that's what we do. You are welcome at this table. And when it comes to the gospel, there is no accident when it comes to the invite. You are invited. We are invited to come and sit at the table of the gospel. We don't have to wait for one day. Like this idea of a lifestyle of thanksgiving. It's a good day, but it is a better lifestyle. And I think that's kind of where I want to dig in this morning. We've been, we just started the book of 1 Thessalonians. And so we're going to jump into some passages today. You saw this in chapter one, as Paul will actually highlight a few times this idea of thanksgiving. In Paul's letter, there, there's a theme in which he uses this word. But in First and Second Thessalonians, he uses it pretty consistently. And I want to use that maybe today as an opportunity to help us dig into um, really God's heart. How can this idea of thanksgiving move beyond a day and really begin to move into a lifestyle for us? So let's stand as we read God's word. We're going to read three different passages where this word is used. It's used in chapter 1, chapter 2, and in chapter 5. So follow along with me this morning. Let's begin in verse 2. I'll read the, the eat or, or even, and let's read the highlighted or odd verses together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that he has chosen you. Verse 13 of chapter 2. And we always thank God continually, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Verse 16, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You guys can have a seat. So as you see here in this particular letter, Paul is going to use this word three times, three different occasions, three different observations. But here when we get into this last one. I think you kind of get a good overarching kind of emphasis about really this idea of uh, Thanksgiving being more than a day, but a lifestyle. In fact, Paul says it this way, give thanks in everything. Or as you'll see in the text today, in all circumstances. And so this is where I want to talk about this idea of a life of thanksgiving. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, it's more than a day. It's more than a prayer. For a lot of people, we talk about thanksgiving. And like I said, it's maybe a day on a calendar where I stop and I maybe highlight and we're going to go around and ask the question, what are you grateful for? For some, the thought of giving thanks is, well, like a prayer. I'm going to skip over this video, but you guys remember the prayer from, you know, Christmas vacation, right? It was a Chevy Chase and them all gathered around. And then they ask, you know, aunt great to do the blessing, right? And she's like, 
what? And he's like, the blessing. And she's like, ah. And then she begins like with the national anthem. <laughs> you know, and, and for some, that idea of saying grace or giving thanks, it is, it just becomes this formal or maybe kind of just a, a thing that we walk through. Do I really stop and think about what a lifestyle, what a, what a life of thanksgiving looks like in a world, right, that is really wrestling with gratitude? I was involved in a Twitter war this week, right? You're like, oh, Pastor Caleb, right? Now, I just, somebody had said something that I thought was like, real, normally I don't comment. I just read, catch my news, something like that. And uh, there, somebody had said something that I thought was worth responding back to, right? And, uh, and as I begin to engage, now I see why I don't engage in these conversations, right? Like how much time is lost, you know, literally just, arguing with people who in their keyboard warrior, you know, and you're like, I am getting nowhere. And I'm now more frustrated than when I started, regardless of even if what you were saying is true, you know, you find yourself going down these rabbit holes and you're just like, I'm more angry than when I started. I really need to avoid that. And, and in a world where we are constantly engaging in conflict and frustration and uh, people are complaining, you stop and you think what a, ple- what a, what a joy it is to come across somebody who would maybe be like, man, that's a lifestyle of thanksgiving. And that person is filled with joy and grace and gratitude. Like you come across those people and you're like, whoa, that, there's something different about that person. Now remember, as we're getting into the book of the Thessalonians, we saw what God began to do there in Thessalonica had an impact where that work began to impact. It was like, 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 uh, like concentric circles, like dropping a pebble into a pond. Like it began to make its way echo throughout that empire of Greece. What was it about what the people saw through the gospel changing these people's lives? And so we see that this, this idea of gratitude I wonder how it might not just impact what was going on in Thessalonica, but I wonder how it might impact what's going on in our world. So there was a research study done recently by a number of universities I was looking up. You know, some of what they had to do is the world catches up often on our biblical principles that that God's known for much longer. But as I was looking at this study done by these universities, a couple of different things that the world in making its observations talks about with this idea of gratitude. It says, according to the vast majority of psychologists, researchers, and experts, gratitude is one of the few things that can literally change our lives for the better. There is a strong correlation between increased feelings of happiness and self-worth and giving or receiving gratitude, so much so that one is practically a function of the other. We are happy because we are grateful, not the other way around. And I think I have some other people in the audience who could testify to that principle or application. A couple of statistics that came out of their research, they said 70% of employees would feel better about themselves if their boss were more grateful. And 81% would work harder. Some of you guys are like, absolutely, right? Like it makes a difference. Employees who experience more gratitude at work report fewer depressive symptoms and stress. 90%, 95% of employees agree that a grateful boss is more likely to be successful. Regular gratitude journaling has been shown to result in 5 to 15% increase in optimism and 25% increased sleep quality. Whoa! Increased sleep quality by just maybe jotting down some of the things that you're grateful for? A lack of gratitude is a major factor in driving job dissatisfaction, turnover, absenteeism, and burnout. 
53% of employees would stay at their company longer if they felt more appreciation from their boss. Gratitude reduces toxic aggression, frustration, or regret even after receiving negative feedback. You see, the world is catching up to things that the Bible has already made pretty clear. But we can look at that and we say, yeah, that makes sense. I think in my job, in my you know, area, whether I'm the employer or the employee, I could see how that would impact my life. I can see how, you know, the constant negativity that surrounds me, like I lose track of the things that I'm grateful for. When we think about what these statistics, you know, point out to us, and some of us be like, okay, man, that's like the track to a better life. And maybe your brain starts to come up with this conclusion. How would my life be better if others were more grateful? Right? Like you look at those statistics and you're like, if my boss were more grateful, if my spouse were more grateful, if my kids were more grateful, the other way to look at those statistics, as I'm thinking about the impact that gratitude has on my life, how would my life be better if what? If I were more grateful. That's a different way to ask that question. It's kind of the principle that Jesus talks about in terms of taking the plank out of my own eye. So as we begin to walk through this process today, and we're looking at some of these words that Paul's talking about to the to Thessalonians, as much as you could look and be like, yeah, I do wish my boss, I do wish that the people around me, I do it. I want you to slow down and I want you to begin to say, okay, what is God telling me as a believer, as a Christian? What is he calling me to in this lifestyle and this understanding of thanksgiving? Well, let's go back to our text. First Thessalonians chapter two. Notice as we observe kind of what Paul is talking about as he and Paul and Silas and Timothy are writing this letter back to uh, the Thessalonians as he had to leave, and he's getting this insight, understanding in terms of where they're at and how they're doing. He begins in verse 2 telling them, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that he has chosen you. Notice... As Paul begins, this is like, like the very second verse as he's opening up the letter. And this letter would have been read in the presence of all of these people gathered. And they begin to hear it. And what does Paul say as he opens up? We thank God for all of you. And I want to start as we begin this idea of a, 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 a Thanksgiving as a lifestyle. I want you to notice Paul is thankful for people. Paul is thankful for others. The first place that you and I can begin today, there's lots of different places that I can focus on developing an attitude of gratitude, but I want you to notice, and we see this later in Paul's letter. We talked about this when we started um, our letter in 1 Thessalonians, but notice in verse 19 of chapter two, Paul says this specifically, that for what is our hope, what is our joy, what is our crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes, is it not what? You. And we talked about that crown, i.e. the Stephanos. And this was uh, equivalent to what you'd see there at the Olympic Games and somebody would win. Today they would get a medal. Back then they would get a Stephanos. They would get a, a crown in recognition. And Paul says that the thing that was his crown, when he was thinking about standing in front of Jesus, the, the greatest treasure, the thing that he was willing to put in all the discipline and all the effort and all the work was people. And as you guys begin to kind of start this process of the taking inventory of the people in your life. And granted, we can start with the very basics, you know, of what I am grateful for about those people. But I would just encourage you again, as we go back to the same principle, you don't miss it. There is a privilege 
there is a joy. There is a transformative relationship. When you have an opportunity to plant a seed, water a seed, or watch a seed harvest, when it comes to the gospel, there is nothing more exciting than watching people cross that transformation into eternity. And whether it's your kids, whether it's your spouse, whether it's a coworker, I can think back of the chapters in my life and they are marked often by moments, whether people in my life or others that God has placed in my life. Man, that sense that people are a treasure like this. We don't get to take stuff to heaven, right? No gold, no money, no building materials. But what can you take with you? Souls. That's where the message was. He who wins souls is wise. Like that opportunity that I've been given the privilege of pouring the gospel into the lives of the people around you. Man, that's the treasure. Paul saw people, not things, as the greatest treasure. As I stop and just kind of prepare you guys for Thanksgiving and we're thinking about this, this lifestyle, one of the things that I do need to do and stop and take inventory is to ask, who am I thankful for? For some of you guys, this can be really easy because you're like, it's my spouse. It's my kids. It's my family. It's my friends. It's my coworkers. Maybe there's a mentor. Maybe there's someone that God's put in your life. You're like, I am grateful for these people that God has put in my life. Amen. Most of you guys are already like faces are popping in front of you. But I want you to notice beyond making this observation about like, who am I grateful for? Think about what's happening as Paul is writing this letter. Notice, he says, look, I thank God for all of you. And for a lot of us, that's maybe the extent of how we get to communicate our gratitude. Thank you, right? And, and that's powerful. You're grateful for that. But I want you to notice that Paul didn't just finish it, thank you. Do you notice what Paul says? We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope and our Lord Jesus Christ. As you begin to look at these different phrases, one of the things that begins to stick out is the observations about the work of the Spirit in those people. As Paul begins to kind of think about the encounters that he had with them, he's highlighting some very specific ways in which he saw God working through the people that he was talking to. Now, again, when we think about some of the people in our lives, we recognize, as the Bible says, the tongue has the power of life and what? Death. And I know as a dad, as a husband, as an employer, as someone who gets to work with a lot of different people, that my words have power. And you've seen it. Sometimes you, 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 you're in that, that, that privilege to where it's like, man, I got to speak a word into somebody's life. And you just watch like that light go on. It's like turning on the Christmas lights. Man, there's like an excitement there. But we've also all known the, the pain of maybe rather than saying the right thing, we said the what? The wrong thing. And like popping a balloon, you just watch shoo, that person deflate. There was a science experiment done. You guys have heard this, but these guys were duplicating. I'll just highlight it here for a second. But notice uh, the news article here about this particular science experiment. I mean, these are like yellow. I don't think that's good. 11-year-old Samantha Petragli and her mom are still trying to nurse this dead plant back to life after the fifth graders class killed it and not with kindness. I feel sad about the bully plant because I don't like to see anything die. For her science fair project this year, the Comac girl and her mom bought two of the same types of plants from 
from the same nursery. Both were then placed on the same windowsill inside her classroom. This way it was even. They had the same amount of water, the same amount of sunlight. The only difference, one was verbally complimented every day by Samantha's classmates, and the other was bullied. Students tracked it all by a checklist. So the rules were, with bullying the plant, say mean things to it. Call the plant ugly. Call the plant fat. Call the plant you know, stupid. The plant that was bullied began to wilt right away, and after just six days, it died, while the one that received compliments continued to grow. If bullying a plant for just six days basically kills it, imagine bullying a child. Last year, the furniture company IKEA conducted a similar experiment as a public service announcement against bullying, getting the same result. According to the Long Island Coalition Against Bullying, 68.4% of Long Island middle school students expressed they were bullied in school. Samantha says she's one of them, which prompted her to do this experiment. I like that it shows how bullying can wear you down and hurt you and hurt your feelings. There's no concrete proof that the science project actually worked, but for this Comac family, they're happy it at least served as a teaching tool. Ali Bauman, CBS2 News. You guys have seen, um, you know, different stories that are like that. This isn't the first science experiment, so to speak. And for whatever reason, they seem to come up with consistent results that not only when we say our words have power, but there seems to actually be almost a biological and psychological. And I know some of you in here work with kids and some of you actually work in that field where almost like you're a soul surgeon, you're working with people who've been wounded, not just physically, but literally emotionally. And, and, and it's something that somebody said. And we realize that our words have power, and as much as the negative of that is true, because for some of you guys, it instantly, what we were just talking about, it brings back thoughts, and maybe you can think of some people who you know are still, it's like there's a record, and, and it's stuck, you know, repeating some of those same things that they've heard somebody say to them. Somebody was in a position of power and influence, and it's almost like, man, that's the record that just keeps playing. And as we talk about a lifestyle of thanksgiving, Paul began to open his letter, and he didn't just say, I am grateful for you all. He began to say, I thank God for you all, and then he begins to list ways in which he saw Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit evident in those people that he was talking to. I want to challenge, encourage you, and I'm speaking to myself in this. I have to grow in this. But as you begin to make your list, of some of the people this week as you're going to enter into Thanksgiving. Maybe you're going to see some family members there this week. And you're going to have an opportunity. You could say, I'm thankful for you for. Thankful for what? Maybe take this next couple of days and maybe take it a step further and begin to ask, praying for discernment, can I say more than just thank you? Can I begin to highlight that area where I begin to see that work, that fruit, that grace of God evident in their lives. Do you realize how powerful it is when somebody who, um, who you respect, somebody whom you, know, you look up to speaks into your life and says, man, I see this fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. And man, I am so grateful for that. I mean, we think about the power of words. And I encourage you, man, if you're married, this is a really valuable tool. If you're a parent, you know, we give a lot of correction as parents. You know, there's a lot of areas where we have to say no and don't do that. And is there as much encouragement, right? Am I speaking as I begin to think about the, the promises of God 
and the things that I begin to see in terms of watering the fruit of the Holy Spirit, I just, I want to challenge us as we begin to think about being people where thanksgiving is a lifestyle. And I'm grateful for the people around me, but how do I express it? Thank you cards are great. Send out a text. That's one thing that I sometimes get a chance to do is I can just drop somebody text and say, hey man, I am so grateful for you. I really value. And it's just one or two things. You know how powerful, and maybe you're like, well, Caleb, here's the words of affirmation, people. It's true, right? Words matter to me. I use them often. But as we saw there, even in the the book of Proverbs, words matter. Your words matter. And imagine at your work, if you're that guy, if you're that guy that has an opportunity to say, hey, man, I really see this and you, you are, you are valuable. You know, we couldn't do this without you. You don't need to make stuff up. But you begin to ask the Lord for discernment as we speak into this last week, they had the chapel over at Whittier Christian. And there was a kid who was sharing some testimony about his experience about, you know, kind of both growing up in a Christian home, but struggling with some of his own questions about faith and just navigating. And he was highlighting a moment in a particular class where a teacher who was talking about the gospel and talking about their experience and really living like, 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 hey, I understand if you got questions, but man, let's understand who Jesus is and what he did. And this is how it worked in my life and began to share specifically how like that person radically impacted their life. And when I got home and my wife, I'm like, hey, how was your day today? And she's like, well, I had this student who I wouldn't have necessarily even guessed. And as he was sharing, you know, there in chapel, he began to share how in one particular class, as I was teaching, you know, this was the moment that the light bulb went on. And I'm just like a Christmas tree. I could see, you know, her countenance, like just the joy, the grace. As a teacher, how often do you ever get to hear feedback, you know, about like on that one day, that one class, and you didn't even know. But she began to think like, man, how valuable it is when you get to hear how something that God said and did and you impacted somebody in their life. So I want to encourage you, you know, as you're thinking about this week, send out your thank you cards, drop a text, be ready to tell people, Hey, I'm thank, I'm thankful for you. But maybe like Paul, we take it a step further and begin to look for some of that spiritual fruit where we're cultivating, really communicating. Now I want you to notice that that's not the only thing Paul was grateful for. He started the letter saying, I am thankful for you. And then he lays out this list of things that he's thankful for. But you'll notice that Paul's initial act of thanksgiving, he says, I am thankful to God for you. He repeats that here in verse two, excuse me, in chapter two, verse 13. He says, and we also thank God continually. And then he goes on to talk about this area of why he thanks God. He's talking about the work that God has done as it says, like you have received the word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you. Paul began to say, man, I am so grateful to God for what God is doing in the world around me. Let me ask you this question. And this sounds a little bit redundant because you're here at church and you're like, well, Caleb, this is, this is part of how I thank God, right? Like I come to church on Sunday so that I can worship, so that I can give of my time, so that I can give of my finances, so that I can give of service. Absolutely. It's a good question for me to stop and think about. We just talked about like, man, a life of thanksgiving. Okay, I'm one of those people who's speaking, right? Thanksgiving and gratitude into people's lives. I'm speaking life. 
And then I stop and I say, but what or how do I express that gratitude to God? Paul said, I thank God continually. The psalmist, Psalm 100, is kind of an expression of this. And I love the psalms because they really do... It's almost like somebody's diary, right? You're seeing a reflection of the psalmist's heart. Notice in Psalm 100, as the psalmist is expressing his thanksgiving back to God. Notice all the different ways in which he tries to communicate this idea of gratitude. Verse 1, a psalm for giving grateful praise. Shout to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. That was our text this morning as we had our pre-service prayer time. And you notice this idea of all the different ways that the psalmist was expressing how he tries to communicate gratitude back to God. Whether it was a shout, whether it was a song, whether it was this idea of kind of resting my mind on who he is and kind of submitting to that man. You are the shepherd. I am the sheep in your pasture. But like there is this expression back to God, just like if I were to talk about how did you communicate that to your spouse, your coworker, your friend? And I stop and I think, what does it look like? Because I think sometimes we're like, well, God knows my thoughts. Try that with your spouse. Try that with your child. I mean, we sometimes do that, right? Like they know, you know. But like how valuable is it even though you know when that person stops and communicates it to you? Like when you begin to look at the, the, the way the psalmist is expressing his relationship with God, how personal, how practical. And again, that's part of what's happening on Sunday. Praise God. That's why we're trying to create more and more opportunities for us to gather to do this. I realize that this space is important, but this isn't the only space that you can do that. You've got a space at home. You've got a, a space where you can be like, man, I can just get alone with God or I can get together with another believer and I can begin to communicate to him. What does it look like to express gratitude back to God? There's a good picture in the New Testament. You guys know the story, Luke chapter 17. Let me show you a, a clip to just kind of put it in perspective because it reads the text and gives us a visual. It'll set the tone here for, uh, for the story of Jesus and the lepers. <laughs> On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Sometimes it helps to get the visual. 
And as you're thinking about the idea of Jesus making his way through different cities and villages, you know, it's interesting that it almost became normal, right? Like if Jesus is there, anything could happen, which is awesome. I want to have that expectation, even like, like here, every Sunday at church, as part of what we were praying for this morning. Lord, I thank you that you are enthroned in the praises of your people. And when you are here, anything can happen. Lives can be transformed. People can be healed. What's interesting about this story is we begin to look at these guys calling out for a cure to an incurable disease, right? And leprosy just, not only did it have a physical issue in terms of like your skin and uh, the impact that it was having there, but the idea that you were an outcast from society caused you to be cut off. Thus, like, man, I really feel isolated. I feel in pain. I mean, all of these different things that were connected to this idea of, man, I want to see my circumstances change. And so obviously if Jesus is walking by, they're calling out. And then we see Jesus in his grace communicate to them a very interesting response. He says, go and show yourself to the priest. Now what's interesting as they were hearing Jesus's command and all of a sudden it's like, all right, he said, go show yourself to the priest. Hey guys, let's go do that. And here's what the text says. And as they went, they were what? They were cleansed. That's pretty amazing. You know, the idea that because Jesus said, go, show yourself to the priest. All right, we're not supposed to leave this community, but if Jesus told us to do it, all right, let's go. And they begin to take their group and they begin making their way in obedience to what Jesus asked him to do. And immediately that step of faith, that step of obedience, it says, and they were what? They were healed. And it's really amazing how in that simplistic, like, okay, Jesus told me to do this. I'm going to go do that. And I begin to see, experience this work of God in my life. The challenging part is I can begin to put the focus now on like, man, I can't believe that I did that. That took a lot of faith. That was really good. I'm glad that I, I'm glad that I listened. I'm glad that I, and I can begin to put the focus on what I did in relationship to the grace of God. And now it's just like, all right, look, I began to see this change, etc. And I can all of a sudden lose sight of the fact that who actually did the miracle? Now notice in the story, one of them, as they're making their way and experiencing, how, I, I don't know how long, whether it's like 100 yards and then the, the cure kicked in or, or, or somewhere along the way, as these guys are beginning to make their way away from Jesus, one person stops and says, you know what? I cannot believe the grace that this person just had on me. This is the person that I need to come back and thank. This is the, the, the source of my healing. Not me, not on my obedience, not on my activity, but you, you are the one. I cannot believe what you just did. Notice one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice and he throws himself at Jesus' feet, thanks him, and then we get this observation that he was a Samaritan. One person in the crowd figures out that Jesus was more than a prophet, that Jesus was more than some, some preacher, but man, he was gone, and he's moved to come and just throw himself down at Jesus' feet. Here's the observation I want to make today, and I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. I'm not saying this to try to twist your arm. I'm saying it to make the same observation that Scripture does. Jesus says, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Let me just say it this way. Jesus sees our gratitude. 
it matters. You know, the idea that the other nine just kept walking, that didn't mean that Jesus said, okay, I'm taking away the blessing, you know, all of a sudden, like the leprosy returned. That's not, I mean, that's how you and I would like to see the story play out. Like, get him, Jesus. There ends up being another blessing for this guy in that moment as Jesus talks to him. And we're not sure exactly what that is. But what I want to highlight in this story is that nine of them kept walking. One of them returned and it mattered to Jesus. Jesus highlights that. He communicates this guy's faith. He commends his gratitude. He commends his heart and acknowledging where the source of that healing came from. He acknowledges his heart and that posture of just like, wow, you are God. And there, there's a blessing that comes along with it. And I just want to encourage you guys, as you look at that story, as you and I think about how we go about our day-to-day life and the miracles and the things that God is doing in your life, we can get to the point where like, God, would you do this? And then he begins to give you the steps and you begin stepping, but we just keep what? We just keep walking. I never stop. And I think, God, that was an answer to prayer. That was something that, that you did. Because sometimes it just gets really easy to focus on what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And I like this picture as you're looking at this artist's rendition of here's the ones that just keep walking. And the one that begins to look back and he's thinking, have I stopped and I thanked him? And I guess I have to ask in the story, which one am I? As I begin to think about all the different things that God is currently doing in my life. As you go down the list from your health to your job. You expand the list, salvation. There's so many different things that I can stop. One of the challenges that happens when we maybe don't have a prayer list, when we don't have a way of reminding ourselves of the answered prayers, we can sometimes forget just how faithful God is. Let me ask you a question. Has God answered a prayer for you this year? Is he answered a prayer for you this month? This week? I don't know what it is. Some of you guys are still praying. It might be 10 years in the making, 20 years in the making. I heard some people as they were, you know, sharing testimony about like a family member getting saved. And, you know, it's 20 some years plus of praying. I I recognize that it doesn't always happen right away. But as you begin to stop and you begin to think about your relationship with God, how would it be enhanced? How would it be changed if I stopped and I begin to think, what does it look like for me to express my gratitude to God? Is there an actual place that I am engaging, communicating, coming back to him to thank him? Like when we think of thanksgiving, I am giving what? Thanks. Like there's an actual gift. There is something that I am doing to say, Lord, thank you for what you have done. Maybe that's your time. Maybe that's your talents. I, I don't know. But is it a response back to God because of what? Because of who he is and what he has done. Let me close with one more passage of thanksgiving. So here's kind of where we got our idea of the lifestyle of thanksgiving. Paul closes with this next aspect of thanksgiving in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. And as we look at this, uh, as we look at this verse, it closes with the idea for this is the will of God for you. And we'll dig into that as we get actually into that passage. That's one of three times in the New Testament that God actually uses that phrase for this is the will of God. That's what I wrote my thesis on because I feel like there's such a big question that people have. How do I know God's will? And I say, have you actually looked at the verses that say this is the will of God? 
The first one is also in 1 Thessalonians. It talks about this idea of holiness. This second one kind of highlights this idea of worship and giving thanks. The difference is it's not just worship when everything is going well, but it's this idea of worshiping when everything doesn't seem to be going well. In fact, it's that exhortation to give God thanks in all circumstances. This is a quote from Rick Warren. He says, the deepest level of worship is praising God in spite of pain, trusting him during a trial, surrendering while suffering, and loving him when he seems distant. You know, some of you, when I was going over the list of things that like, okay, God, this is what I can be grateful for. That was easy. Others of you, when you started to think about that list, immediately there's other thoughts that start to come into mind because you're like, well, what about this? I'm having a real hard time being grateful to God because of this particular situation, that particular, particular challenge. What about this thing? And this is kind of where we find Paul communicating this idea of a lifestyle of thanksgiving. That thanksgiving isn't just something that we do as believers because, well, life is going well. Because, well, I got a promotion in my job. Because my bank account is full. You know, because my health is good. How do we as believers, because really at the core of even this word for thanksgiving, in the Greek, this Eucharisto, how does this, this aspect of grace, how does the grace of God kind of come right down to this heart, this core of yours and my thanksgiving? Notice again, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in what? All circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is where the rubber kind of meets the road for us as Christians. The first two were like, Caleb, this is encouraging. I'm going to make my, my gratitude list. I'm going to get out my thank you cards. Make sure I spend some time being grateful with God. Thank you, Caleb. That's good. Can we just skip this last one? But when you and I begin to think about, as Jesus closed out his prayer, not my will, but what? Thy will be done. What was he facing when he was communicating that? Was he facing a circumstance where he was like, okay, this is going to be great. If there be any other way, is kind of how that prayer started, right? As he's facing the cross, as he's contemplating, as he's fully understanding what lies behead. If there be any other way, but not my will, but what? Thy will be done. Is there anyone who had a more direct line to the father than the son? No. Did Jesus not pray correctly in terms of like, did he miss a step in the list of, of prayer points in terms of getting the response from God? No. And the question, if there be any other way. Now, how many of you guys remember the answer that the father gave? It's exactly what I'm hearing right now. Silence. And sometimes silence means stick with the what? Stick with the plan. Like what I've already communicated is the answer. And again, I think we're getting this insight for our benefit. As Jesus is communicating, if there be any other way, but not my will, but thy will, sometimes it's helpful to us to know that the will of God sometimes involves a cross. 
when you begin to, to pray God's will, we've talked about this before, and we'll dig into this, particularly in the book of 1 Thessalonians, but we often believe, I get this when people are asking, we're doing counseling, how do I know it's the will of God? And we think it's the path of least resistance, or what, the shortest distance between two points. I know it's God, because I had all green lights getting to where I was going. Because I had no obstacles, you know, in the path that I was on. As I begin to look at scripture, I begin to realize that God's will often looks like the long way around the promised land. It often looks like being stuck between an army and a Red Sea. That God's will often involves giants and, and challenges and sometimes jails and things where you're like, man, why did I get betrayed? Why did these different things happen? Does that mean that God is causing those things to happen? No. Does God in his grace and in his love, allow those things to happen? Yes. And then ultimately utilize them to accomplish his perfect plans? Absolutely. And so as we begin to process what Paul is saying here to the Thessalonians, because as you and I go back and we understand our first century history, and we realize that for the Christians, becoming a Christian, acknowledging and identifying, saying, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and follow this Jesus who I believe is now God, not Caesar, it might cost me my job. It might cost me my family. It might cost me my what? My life. And when you begin to recognize that equipping that church, as Jesus would talk about some of the challenges that come with following me, pick up your cross and follow me. That following Jesus sometimes comes at a cost, but you would begin to look at the world and be like, I don't know if I want that. Like, I think there are sometimes Christians who have picked up their cross, but at the same time, it looks like they just bit into a lemon. Now, again, I'm not saying that we have to smile and act like, hey, everything's fine. What I'm saying is, how is it that I can find joy? How is it that I can find gratitude even in the midst of the pain? Is it possible, like what Paul is saying, that I can rejoice always, that I can pray continually, that I can give thanks in all circumstances, even when all circumstances don't feel good, that God is still good. Are you tracking where I'm going? All my years working with the police department as a chaplain, this is one of the most challenging areas of ministry for me. Coming alongside people who've lost children navigating the sudden loss of loved ones, dealing with war and pain and death. It is difficult to sometimes give thanks in all circumstances. I am right there with you. <laughs> but that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that God is still not in control and still working all things together for good. It doesn't mean that all things are good in that moment or feel good in that moment. But is it possible that God can use that moment and ultimately work it out for good as we saw in the life of Joseph a couple of months ago? What the enemy meant for evil, God is meant for good. Let me say it this way. I can't control my circumstances, but I can control my what? My response. And for some of you, you're like, that is right where I'm at. I can't control these things that are happening to me. I can't control these things that are going on. But what I'm encouraging you today that Paul's talking about in this life of thanksgiving, that God has given you control over your response to them. We get an example. Paul highlights this for us. He's not just this person who gives us a pep talk and says, hey, this is a really good idea. 
This is an area that Paul had great experience in. We remember as we look back, just before Paul got to Thessalonica, he was in Philippi. And there in Philippi, as he was communicating the gospel, we see this woman get free from demon possession. It ends up having an impact in terms of the economy and the way that people were looking at him. Man, we put this guy in prison. And there in prison in the darkest night, in the most difficult part, back in the back of the prison, his feet are stuck in the stocks. Like this is the most uncomfortable, difficult, frustrating situation, all because I was doing what? I was doing God's will. Right? Like what I was doing was good. And he finds himself now in a prison in this difficult circumstance. And we remember, this is something that's not new for us. We look, oh, yeah, I remember this story. And it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were what? Praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to him. They're in the midst of the darkness. They're in the midst of the brokenness. Their joy, their willingness to be like, man, I'm just going to praise God in the midst of it. There ends up being an earthquake. Doors open up. The chains fall off. You know, the prison guard, you know, was ready to commit suicide because he's like, man, I lost all these prisoners. I'm in real trouble. And Paul uses that as an opportunity to communicate the gospel to him. That guy gets saved. His family gets saved. And there in the midst of this whole chaotic circumstance, in the midst of the rubble of all that was going on, a church is birthed. All because in the middle of that circumstance, Paul chose to say, okay, we're just, I can't control my circumstances, but I control how I respond. And there he's just worshiping. And they began to say, like, what? What is this that Paul believes in? Paul would talk about later, like as he's writing to the Corinthians, he's sharing a little bit about what following Jesus has looked like for him. And he says, I don't always like to talk about this part. But he says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. You're like, danger, Will Robinson. As he goes on, he jumps in, and this is the verse that a lot of you guys know, but we don't often connect these two. But he lays out this entire story about his experience, both as a missionary, as a pastor, serving the Lord. And in the next chapter, you get this section. This is all connected. And he says, because of the surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was giving a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Man, if there's anybody who deserved Right? To just have like his prayer answered. Like to have whatever challenge, whatever uncomfortability, whatever difficulty being like, okay, God, like doesn't he get a bonus, you know, prayer? But as we look at all the things that he endured, that he went through for the sake of the gospel, and then he says, and here I was dealing with this particular issue, this pain that just would not stop. It felt like a messenger of Satan just to like, man, this wouldn't, and I asked three times, not just once, but how many times? Three times. Three times. And what's the answer that he gets back from God? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Some of you guys have been asking and asking and asking. And I get it. Maybe you're feeling like, man, do I need to read more? Do I need to go to church more? Do I need to? I understand why, you know, we sometimes want to turn on the light and do a little inventory with that. Okay. But the idea that God's answer, my grace is sufficient, isn't because he's mad at you. The idea that God is meeting you in your weakness, 
one of the things that we see is there's no purposeless pain. God's not doing it to be mean. God's not doing it because he's, he's mad at Paul because he took a wrong turn. No, Paul is encountering difficulty and suffering in a way that actually equips him to do ministry to people that like he maybe never would have been able to minister to. In fact, some of you guys are grateful, you know, for Paul's story and, and his wrestling match because you're like, okay, that feels a little bit more like me. And I'm hearing God say to me today, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. I'm gonna show you a clip from Rick Warren sharing his testimony after probably the most difficult moment in his life and ministry. And some of you guys might know his story, but I'm gonna show you just a clip of this as he's talking about finding joy, finding strength in the midst of pain. And because of him, and he was talking to me on a suicide site and he talked me out of it. And I'm gonna be in heaven because, and I remember writing in my journal that day, in God's garden of grace, even broken trees bear fruit. My goodness. And then I wrote, and we're all broken. Okay, we're, we're all broken, okay. So if you think that reading Purpose Driven Life's gonna give you a perfect life, don't even bother. It will give you a life of purpose and it will help you understand how God uses all these things. And the fifth thing was God uses pain to be a witness. I actually think that our greatest witness to the world is how we handle pain. Not how we handle good times. There's a guy I've been witnessing to on my block for 20 years, and he was not interested in anything. He just shut down, closed. But when Matthew died, I remember driving by one day, and he's out watering his lawn, and he looks up at me, and he goes, and I'm going, that got to him. That got to him. And all of a sudden, it was real. And he was watching how I was handling the worst circumstances of my life. And so, as I say, your greatest ministry will come out of your deepest pain. I say that from experience. There's not a week go by that somebody famous calls me with either a mental illness issue or a suicide issue. And I'm talking about from the highest of the highest people, personalities in politics and in celebrity. And Kay and I did not ask for this ministry of ministering to families with mental illness and ministering to families struggling with suicide of a family member. I didn't want that ministry, but it's one that God gave us and I'm not gonna waste the pain. So I would say to everybody, whatever your pain is, have you been molested? My wife was molested as a little girl in a church. She has used that pain to help others, okay? Uh, cancer, I, I, don't, you're gonna go through pain in life, just don't waste it. If you're gonna go through pain, you might as well use it to help somebody else out. He's sharing from experience. Tragic loss of his son, the devastation of that, navigating, just kind of working through that with the Lord. And so when you hear somebody talk, when they're sharing a testimony of like having had just their life, you know, fall apart and where God had met them in the midst of that. And there, you know, in terms of the brokenness of the pieces to see how even, you know, in the midst of that, God was able to use even the broken pieces to still reflect the glory and the grace of God. 
Dr. Tony Evans says, God often uses our deepest pain as the launching pad for our greatest calling. And again, that's, for some of you guys, maybe more of a, um, a prayer of faith. Because kind of like, I will give thanks in all circumstances, maybe I can't see in the moment how God is going to use this for good. But I can look at the cross and see how as terrible as Good Friday seemed, there was an Easter Sunday. I can look back at the Joseph story and the Abraham story and every single time where God is taking the things that the enemy meant for evil and using it for good. Sometimes it's that cry of faith to say it doesn't feel good, but I trust that God is good and I am confident that somehow, some way, he is gonna use this for his glory. I remember we went through two miscarriages and at the time I was a chaplain with the police department and uh, it was pretty raw still and I was riding out with an officer one night, another young guy, he was a Marine, and uh, this guy that I, 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 I just like, because at the time I was teaching martial arts, and so I was working with some of, these some, of these, uh, some of these officers in terms of training, so I had a little bit more of a rapport with them, and he was really quiet, and I was kind of quiet that night. We were just kind of, just tracking to see what was going to happen, but he says, you know, uh, Caleb, you're pretty quiet, you know, and I say, yeah, it's been a, been kind of a tough season, and normally I'm there to encourage them, you know, but in that moment, it just felt like for some reason, I was going to open up about something that I was going through. That's just a little bit of emotion. I just say, yeah, we, uh, you know, we had lost a, a pregnancy. It was the second time that it happened. And, uh, and I watched as he was like, like <clears throat> and got a lump in his throat. And I'm thinking, oh, no, you're driving, dude. You need to focus, focus. And, uh, and I watched as he kind of began to pull to the side. And, and I could see him kind of look up and match my eyes. And, and I could see there was some real emotion for him. He says, I haven't told anybody but we just lost a baby, uh, a pregnancy as well. And I'm thinking, wow, you know? And, and in that moment, you know, as I had chosen to say, here's what I'm going through. I know I'm here to try to be an encouragement to you, but for whatever reason, it's felt like I had enough rapport to open up and be transparent. And there he lets down his guard and he begins to share what he's going through. And we just kind of teared up for a moment. Two, two guys sitting in a police unit, one black belt, the other Marine, and just kind of like processing like, wow, this doesn't feel good, but God is good. Can I pray for you? You know, in that, in that moment, my relationship was really strengthened and, and built with that person because he allowed me in to his world, not because I had the perfect answer as a pastor. He probably wouldn't have said anything to me, but because of the pain that I was going through, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, where we get to comfort others with the comfort which we have received when you look at a key and you look at all the etches, right? And the things that are cut away and cut into you, so that key will actually open the what? Block. I realize that some of you guys, the way that that key has been etched has been through pain and difficulty. Some things that maybe we'll never understand this side of heaven. But I would imagine that it's possible one day there's going to be a conversation. There's going to be an opportunity where the pain that helped etch that key might just go into the lock of the hardness of somebody's heart. They're looking at you like, you'd never understand. You'd never get it. You, 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 don't, you don't know. And then you watch as you begin to share your story and what God's done through your brokenness and where God's met you. And you can begin to talk about, like it wasn't good, but God is good. And this is where the gospel met me. I realize that it feels like I can't, but see, that's part of the, that's part of the power of the gospel 
is this idea that through the power of the gospel, where I've, let me put it this way, the depth of my gratitude is rooted in the depth of the gospel. When I realize how far Jesus is gone for me, how much he has done for me, what it means to be loved by the God of the universe, all that he experienced, the stripes, the cross, the nails, that speaks to somebody who's also been the victim of tragedy and difficulty. And I can say, Jesus gets it. He understands. When I look at the person who's experiencing guilt and shame, and I can say, this is what Jesus did for us. This is what Jesus did for me. But I can talk about who I was, but who I am today, about being a new creation. But I can talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, man, this work of the gospel this is the fountainhead for gratitude in your life. This is that starting spot, you know, for us to be able to say, well, I don't, I don't know if I can find joy in my circumstance. Start with the gospel. Start with how much Jesus has done for you. Start with just wrapping my mind around, you know, like all that had to transpire so that I can call him my savior. That's a good place to start today if you're struggling with gratitude. And then as you begin to think and trust and be like, okay, Lord, it's hard. But I do believe that one day somehow you are going to use this for good. Whether to help lead somebody else, to encourage somebody else, to inspire somebody else. But as you begin, and I'm hearing more and more testimonies. Some, I heard one of the most raw testimonies I've ever heard, you know, just the other day. I mean, it had me in tears and still kind of rocked me even today, just processing it. But it was a guy who just was being really honest for the first time in his life um, and watching how the Lord is taking what the enemy meant for evil and use it for good guys. The world needs to hear. They have a broken, hurting, you know, world right now. And you and I may be the tool when we begin to point to this life of thanksgiving and how we can still find joy in the midst of pain. Man, you might have people saying, that is what I need. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, we are humbled. We are overwhelmed again by the gospel. All that you did for us, all that you did to show us and to demonstrate your love. Lord, would you forgive us where we feel a little bit like those nine that sometimes just keep on walking? You've answered so many prayers. You've done so many things. You've brought healing. You've brought hope. And Lord, we just kind of start today with just saying, Lord, we're sorry. That, Lord, we don't communicate enough. We don't maybe respond back to you enough, Lord, just how humbled and grateful we are for that. And so, Lord, we do. We just start this morning by saying thank you. But, Lord, as we look back at what you've done, I pray that that would be an anchor for the storms that some of my brothers and sisters are in right now. And I pray, Lord, that just as we have some people, Lord, that are going through really hard things, kids with leukemia, families with cancer, and I watch as they worship, I watch as they fellowship, I watch as they're here serving, and I just think, man, what an example of the grace of God, of the strength of God. And I pray, Lord, that you would be helping us, each one of us, in the midst of those moments, Lord, that we would just recognize that in our brokenness, this is an opportunity for people to see Jesus. I pray that this week, Lord, that you would help us to speak life, words of thanksgiving, words that um, go down deep, that water the seeds of the gospel in our friends and family. 
Maybe this morning for the first time, this is really hitting you. I want to invite you that today is the day. Today is the opportunity as Jesus has been knocking on the door of your heart to open up the door, to come find fellowship at his table, to find acceptance, to find wholeness, to find a healing that goes deeper than physical healing. It goes down deep into the soul. And if that's you this morning, just start right where you're at. Just open the door and say, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I've been resisting you. I've been holding on to bitterness and fear. And today, Lord, I want to come sit at that table of grace with you. I believe that you paid the price on the cross. I believe that you resurrected to prove, Lord, that you can work all things together for good, that you can make us a new creation. And I want to experience that life. Jesus, we thank you for the gospel. I thank you for this church that is living it out. Would you help us, Lord, this week to walk it, to talk it, to live it? In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Let's stand.